Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's Small doses audience, we have a treat this week. I mean, I feel like every week is a treat, but this is a particular treat because, you know, we got somebody that is in the mix. Okay, now <laughs> here's the thing. A lot of us, we be outside the mix like, I don't like that shit. I don't want that shit to happen. They need to stop doing that shit. But when I talk (laughs) about in the mix, I mean, in the building with the legislation, the policies, the laws, the ways that this country is being governed. And that is Congresswoman Cori Bush in (laughs) Knuckle Up, Buckle Up. (laughs) Now... Let me just say this first. People always tell me, like, Amanda, you should run for office. No. Mm. No. Corey, stop. No. Why? What's the no? What? I don't know how y'all do it. That's why. Because, look, and you don't either. Look at your eyebrows. You're like, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> day by day, moment by moment. You, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is, it's a calling. I think yeah. for some people, actually, let me take that back. For the right people, it's a mm-hmm. calling. Yes. For others, it is a capitalistic gain. Um, yes. And we're getting to see that, I feel, in more of a clear way than we've ever seen it before. I think that there was a lot more effort to hide it <laughs> in the past. And these days, folks like Manchin and Cinema are like, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, we're Democrats, but like, we're going to get this money. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. High five. <laughs> So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us because I know that a lot of people interview you and it's more about just like, okay, what are your policies? What is your voting record? You know, what are your interests? But I would love for you to also just give my audience some insight into do our votes really matter? Um, How do we make an impact in these midterms? And really, in your opinion, as somebody who has been an organizer on the ground In a different mix, right? Like in the mix of the people and the grassroots of it all, you have a unique duality that a lot of those folks that are sharing Congress with you do not have. So I would love to hear your thoughts also on like what that is for you, because I just know that when you've seen the real and you're in the mix of people who are pretending (laughs) and who ignore it. I feel like it just takes another level of effort. And I hope that you have a consistent therapist because the gaslighting (laughs) is madness. But before we get into all of that, what did make you decide, like, you know what? I want to go the politics route. Yeah. And this is a route, Amanda, that I would not have. You could not have told me the day before I said yes to this, that I was going to ever do this, literally. But it was never a dream of mine. But your parents are political, right? Yes, my dad's been in politics for most of my life. And because of that, as a child, you know, I was canvassing with my dad, doing campaign events and speeches and all of that from a little kid. And I saw my dad give so much. Like he he would have to sacrifice time with us and all of that to take care of his residents. And 
just all the stuff that he sacrificed and to see like lies and scrutiny and corruption just like all around him you know he's fighting through that as he was trying to take care of his ward his community you know I was like why would somebody sign up for that why why would you even (laughs) want to do that like I just didn't understand I used to say it to him they had like why are you doing this and you know and I remember at one point I asked him like how much do they pay you for this? Like, because I was like, it's got to be money. <laughs> and then when he told me he was barely getting any, I was like, well, what are we? And so I said at 18, I said, I'll never run for office. I told my father that. I said, oh, I will never run for office. I don't want to be have anything to do with politics, you know? And so I went a different route and did the route of becoming, you know, a pastor and a nurse and all of that. And, Shout out to um, the nurses. My mom is a retired RN. It's a lovely feel, but you got to put the boots on. Um, but I just, you know, I never thought that I would do it. But it was after the 400 days of protest in Ferguson, after the cameras, after being dogged out by society and called all of the worst names and, you know, just being heavily surveilled, just everything. The activist called, reached out to me and said, you know, hey, need you to run for U.S. Senate. And I'm like, why would I do that? I'm not running for the U.S. Senate. And he said, you know, we need more black women in the U.S. Senate, you know, and the only way to get there is for black women to run. Um, And so I said no initially. And then the next day he reached out to some local community uh, leaders and they called me and asked. And so this time when they called and asked, I said no. But as soon as I said no, when the words came out of my mouth, it was just this yes just was bubbling up out of my spirit. And I and I said, you know what, let me call you back. Click. Because <laughs> I didn't want to say yes to them because I could feel the yes. I was like, I need to think what is happening. <laughs> why, why would I do this? But then when I thought about it, my son, who was 14 at the time, and my daughter, who was 13, uh, I thought, what if one of them ends up the next hashtag? I'm out here fighting for justice for Black people. And what if one of my children ends up the next hashtag? And I look back at this moment and I realize maybe I could have done more. And I said no. Right. By the way, a similar story is how uh, Nichelle Nichols ended up as Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek. <laughs> She, she was asked and she said no. And then Martin Luther King and community leaders are like, we need you on the starship. We need you traveling the galaxy. And she was like, fine, fine. I mean, you know, that that's real. It's like when you are faced with the macro of things, right? And the concept of regret, it so often puts it in perspective of like, okay, I'm considering the future, but I have the power in the present. Yes. And... That is what drives me to vote even when I'm not 100% sure is doing something because I'm just like, if I don't, and then they like, this person who is the devil won by one vote. (laughs) If Amanda Seals (laughs) had voted, the entire situation would be different. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, here's my vote. Fine. Um... You know, I think for a lot of us, we felt dragged into politics in the past few years by nature of the fact that Warth Vader, because he's not dark, he's white, like Warth Vader, like Donald Trump is like an actual being of darkness. And when I say darkness, I mean absence of goodness, because he he wishes he was black. Everybody wishes he was black, I feel like, who works so hard against black folks. But I just feel like so many of us are dragged into politics by nature of the continued 
examples that we were being shown of like somebody who was just taking this country and doing whatever they wanted with it. And you're like, wait, 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 like I can't just sit by anymore. Like the bystander effect is is going to be real when it comes down on us. But I don't feel like a lot of us really know how the system actually, actually, actually works. And it's like you can Google it, you know, you can YouTube university it, you can uh, Schoolhouse Rocks it. But it just always feels, Corey, like there is so much effort being put to not only prevent people from voting, but also to prevent people from knowing about their right to vote. And it's it seems to me that if you're going to put that much effort into it, then it must be of value. Exactly. And I'm glad you said that because that's the point that I like to drive to is for there to be money spent, big money spent to try to stop people from voting. There has to be something on the other side of that that they don't want us to reach. And at the end of the day, somebody is going to sit in the seat. Usually the seat is not going to go empty. Someone will sit there. So if we don't show up, if we don't vote, then we have no say so in who that person is. And it could be someone who is so horrible, like you said. But the other thing is, like, depending on how we vote, like some people will say, well, I don't vote in local elections. I only vote for the president. So I still vote, but I only vote for the president. The issue is, is that there in your local area, in that municipality, somebody makes the decision on what kind of trash company you have and how much money you're going to have to pay to have trash service. Somebody is making the decision on, you Who know. Who is that somebody? Is that your alderman? Is that your councilman? Your alder person. That's okay. your council person. Yep, your alder person, council person, trustee, depending on where you live. That's that person. You know, you have somebody who's making the decision on how often your kids go to school every week. Are they doing four days a week school or are they doing five days a week school? What those lunches look like? Is there assistance for that? Somebody's making the decision. Somebody makes the decision. The state is so like, there's so much that comes down on our state level that people don't even pay attention to. And I remember one day when I was talking to some students because they were just really disillusioned and they were like, I just, you know, Corey, it's just no way. Like I'm, I'm done. And I told them, I said, you want to go to school four days a week, but you go to school five, but you don't even realize that another part of the state, they go to school four days a week. Someone made that decision within the same state. Somebody made the decision. Somebody's making the decision on what policing looks like on the state level. Somebody's making the decision about what's happening in our city, what policing looks like. So there's so much that touches us and when you show up to vote, you're not just voting for this one particular seat. There's so much on the ballot that you're voting for. And so even though you may feel like, oh, this particular thing doesn't like, I don't even know what the state representative does or the state senator does, but I'll go ahead and vote. But when you voted, you also voted for some other stuff that's on that ballot, too. And you got some really good people in, you know, or ballot initiatives. You know, that's where the decision is made if we're going to expand Medicaid. So who's getting Medicaid? That's where the decision is made on if grandma gets to stay in her home and get nursing care in her home or if she's in a, a good facility and she gets booted out because she can't pay it anymore. You know, they make those decisions. So anyway, there's just so much. And so the vote does count. I remember my dad won an election once. I think it was somewhere like he won by like seven votes or something like that. See, like, yeah. See, I told you if I had yeah. voted. <laughs> right. No, that's a family. That's literally right. a family going to vote. So it's super important because somebody's going to sit there and they get to dictate your life and your legacy. I don't think people truly grasp that genuinely. Like, and I don't really know 
I'm not really sure why we refuse to grasp it. I think sometimes it just feels so big that there's a certain ignorance is bliss effect that goes down because it seems like the powers that be are so powerful that Mm. it's like, I can't even waste my energy trying to beat that. I just got to live my life and enjoy myself. Like that to me is what the vibe is these days. It's become very tuned out and it's like extreme. I feel like people are either completely tuned out or they're like completely locked in. And I am, I'm somebody who really is trying to always wrap my head around like, how can I be effective? How can I be helpful? Like being able to have you on this podcast to even present this messaging, I feel like is part of my work to try and encourage people to like take back their power. When you got in this position, what was your initial like goal and has it changed at all? Yeah, it is still the same goal. It's So my motto of my office is to do the absolute most for every single person in St. Louis, starting with those who have the least. So that's how we do everything. We start by looking at who has the least, who has the least access, the least income, the least, you know, housing opportunities, the least whatever it is, who has the least. And we're going to start building from there. That's where our legislation starts. We fill those gaps first and then we move from there. Wait, but is, I'm going to ask you to like baby walk us through it. Yeah. So when you are like, OK, we, we identify this is a problem. What is the action item for a congresswoman in Missouri to start attacking that problem? So when we looked at the evictions happening and people were being evicted from their homes during this global daily pandemic. Right. And for me, it just didn't make sense that we could just put people out. It was bad enough that people were being evicted, period, you know, just any time. But mm-hmm. during this global pandemic, you know, and I'm in a seat to be able to do something about it. So my team and I, we just talked about like, hey, what tools do we have in our toolbox? Of course, I decided, you know, I'm an activist. Let me just stay out here on the streets and try to bring some awareness. But also we decided, hey, I have the power of the pen, which is the right legislation to sponsor some stuff to help bring forth a law that states that you just can't put people out on the street during a pandemic. And so that's what we did. My team, we got together, you know, we wrote some legislation. We talked with Senator Elizabeth Warren. She was like, yes, I want to do this too. And literally we made a phone call and got this legislation on the books. So now we still have to do the work to get other members of Congress to want to vote yes on it. So we still haven't made it there. That's where we get stalled sometimes. It's Is just, that it, the politics that people are talking about? That's the politics. Because you have different people who feel differently about some. Literally, I was sitting on the steps and I had another member of Congress, only maybe five feet from me. And he said, well, I don't agree with it because he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to some other folks. He said, I don't agree with it because if I had to do the work to be able to get my own housing and to take care of my family, they, whoever it is, has to get up off their butts and do the same thing, you know? And so some people just absolutely feel like it's the person's fault. Well, you know what? I feel like these are policy decisions and bad leadership that led us to this place. And you have to first start with mercy, be merciful. You want to be in a seat to take care of people, be merciful. And so it's not my job to judge. It's my job to make your life better, you know, and get you some stability and help you to have have a decent, happy quality of life as best I can. Let me just say, though, I'm not Christian, but I 
to my knowledge, mercy is a, a big part of the whole Christian situation. It's huge. And yet, I feel <laughs> like the same people who be like, we are for Jesus, we are, we are for Christianity, that seems to be left out of their message and their action plan on a regular basis. A regular basis, all the time, in, in almost everything we do. That it's just like no mercy. Like there, there's no mercy. There's Especially no when grace. You're talking about exactly. Well, you know, if you're talking about marginalized people, um, women, you're talking, <laughs> absolutely. There's no room. There's no room for mercy. But for us, that's how we have to legislate. That's how we we have to look at what are the problems. Who needs what? If there is no playbook, there's nothing that says, hey. You have this idea, you have to make sure that other people like the idea first, or you have to do all of these things. If I decide I want to write some legislation because I think that everybody over the age of 27 should have green hair, I can write that. It like may that, not like go you, through, but you can you know, write it. Right. It may not go through, but I can write it. And so that's the thing. Like it's just so open. And so just paying attention to your people. Like, and so for me, that goal has not changed. Part of taking care of the people and doing the absolute most is for me first is looking at who has had to suffer the most damage and how can we bring some kind of repair to that. And so I'm fighting for black lives. Like I have to make that and put that in the forefront that I'm fighting for black lives. I want to help you to get a job. Yep, I do. But I got to save your life so that I can get you a job. I can't just work to get you a job. But then I'm allowing all of these other things to happen around you where you live in this lethal, toxic environment. I have to deal with the lethal and the toxic first. Yes. So those are still my goals. Working on building equity. Now I'm going to ask you a dumb question. So get ready. Okay. okay I'm ready. <laughs> I hate people are like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. There absolutely is. Um, and this <laughs> might be one of them. Okay. What is the role of the Congresswoman for affecting things that happen in her particular state compared mm-hmm. to her role in the things that happen federally? as a part of the whole squad right. of Congress. Yes. Does that yes. make sense? Yes, it does. And so that's how things get a little murky. Wonky, <laughs> murky. Yes. <laughs> because each person has a different district that has different needs. You have different climates. You have different problems. You have different demographics. You know, what makes up the district? Who are the people? What's the, the economic status, you know, of the people? Like, all, everybody has something different. So people are supposed to, we're supposed to look at that and then advocate based upon whatever that is, based upon what the needs of the people that are dealing with those particular issues. But in my community, if I know that issues in our environment have hurt, even though I have a majority Black district, so we have redlining, you know, we have just just all of the things still still there, you know. Right, gerrymandering, like... Gerrymandering, all of that stuff, you know. So um, number one for police murder, number one for homicides, number one, like just all of that just going on. And so I'm looking at what do I need to do? So the neighboring district, they're not number one for police murder. They're not number one for um, homicides. They're not dealing with those things. So I'm coming to the table in Congress saying, hey, I need to do this work, write legislation or vote in the way that's going to address police murder, that's going to address homicides, that's going to eradicate poverty in my community. That's going. So I'm looking at that. But the neighboring district, their issues are not that. So that congressperson is now 
she is going to put forward legislation or vote in the way that's going to help. So she has more folks that are more, she, it, it may be an affluent district. So right. they're looking at their needs. And so we have this problem because now we have different ideas, but we're speaking based upon supposed to be speaking based upon the people that we're serving. So, but if I get legislation passed that will help to fix policing in this country. So like federal legislation that trickles down to be able to be applied on a state level. Yes, for each state. But anything that we put forward, unless it says this is only for this particular post office or this is only for otherwise it is for the entire United country. States. And, and, yes. And now. There may be some areas that don't need that type of thing. Then they just don't need to use it. Got it. So like, okay, that's to me, that's the macro, right? Like that's a macro approach to mm-hmm. attacking micro problems. Yeah. Right. In the micro, meaning like in your district, yes. who is like attacking those problems in the district so that they're so that it's being attacked on multi levels, right? So that's being attacked by you, a congresswoman, on a macro level, and then it's being attacked on a like intimate level by the people who are within it. Absolutely. So that council person or trustee or alder person, that's that very first line because that's the one that is the closest. They don't have as many people. They're in your neighborhood. Um, and then you have the mayor. You know, what does a state senator do? The state senator and the state representative all are in your state assembly, your state houses. Those are the ones that make those decisions where federally, oftentimes we have no jurisdiction. We can't touch those things. The state reps and the state senators work with the governor. And so things that are just about your state, so things that are just about California, just about New York, just about Missouri, those are the things that they tackle because they're not trying to affect what happens in California, in Illinois, right. or they're not trying to, exactly. So that's what that's about. They're specifically looking at the, the issues in your state. What's something that is specifically dealt with in Missouri that you guys in the Senate and the Congress wouldn't be able to touch? Masks? Well, that yeah, that's definitely something. That's the issue all over. So yeah, like Missouri, we never um, had a mask mandate. In Missouri right now, our uh, attorney general is trying to sue the school districts for mask mandates, that kind of thing. Someone put forward a bill in our state um, house that basically says it's okay to have vigilantes in our state. Like if you feel like it's like kind of supposed to be like a stand your ground type of law, but it says like, Instead, the prosecutor has to say, look, we got to prove it wasn't self-defense. Like, we got to say that, you know, like, you have to prove that it wasn't versus proving that it was. I guess it's the way that they they say it. Like, and it definitely hurts Black communities because if you have, you know, with all the racism and issues going on. I was going to say, the, the predisposition is already that we're criminals, so. Exactly. And so this says that the police can't even go after the person that that killed the other person because if that person believed they, it was self-defense, the police can't even come, can't even come near them. Um, and if the even- predisposition is already that Black folks are dangerous, then everything is self-defense. Then everything is self-defense, exactly. Exactly. So that bill is not going Missouri anywhere. Missouri be wilding, Corey. Right, right. You can open carry. You don't have to have a concealed carry permit. You can like all of that. It's just really... Anyway, but that's something that is not for the whole country. It's only in our state. Just like that Texas law, the uh, abortion ban. I was going to ask like him. That. Yeah. So just like that, it didn't affect my state yet. Each state has to, you know, would bring forward their own. But in Texas, it's like done for them. Like, 
as far as having abortions right now. They have to go to other states to have abortions right now. So that's what we mean. But on the federal level, we can make a law. Well, there is a law, actually. It's being fought. It's being torn up. It's being ripped to pieces, basically. But in the Congress, we can do the work to say, hey, we don't want the states to have control over this anymore. Like in that's terms of abortion that, or in, in terms of like anything, okay. Some, you know, whether it passes or not is another thing. But you can do stuff where you say, hey, this is something that the states As won't have country. control over. We want this to be for the whole country. Isn't that what the point of the Supreme Court is, that it rules on things that affect the entire country beyond just individual state decisions? Because uh, yeah. I'm confused at this point about what the Supreme Court is supposed to be about. Right. So the Supreme Court, they still deal with issues, things that just had to be elevated to them because well, escalated to them because right now they're dealing with the Mississippi abortion ban. Right. And so if that is rolled back, if people are not able to have an abortion after 15 weeks anymore, of course, that was a Mississippi thing. But, but then that could over, it could make precedence for the rest of the country. So, so to my understanding, say, Roe v. Wade is based on the ruling. Roe v. Wade is going to be repealed in June. And then all the states, to your point, will get to decide how they want to respond. Yes, as far as I know, because the precedence will be there. Like this is actually a thing. Roe v. Wade was rolled back. And now people can put forward legislation to do the exact same thing. As far as I know right now, that's how it can be, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not totally caught up on what's happening with the Supreme Court as far as how that will affect other states. Well, you should listen to our podcast episode, Side Effects of the Abortion Ban. We had um, activist Liz Winstead, who's one of the creators of The Daily Show, and we had her on. And she has dedicated her life at this point to fighting for the right of abortion. And I mean, I was just shocked at how much we don't know. And I feel like even as a congressperson, there's still so much cloaking that goes on around certain issues and trying to keep certain people out of knowing what's happening. And, you know, when I hear about filibustering and, you know, things being passed in the in the dark of night, you know, you're just like, how is this? How does yeah. how, how does this work? Yes, yes, yes. Well, part of it is we have to get the big money out of politics. We have okay. to make it. To where corporations are not people. Can they you tell us how people. it's involved in politics? Yes. Because a corporation can say, hey, this is the candidate that we want for this position, that we're going to open it up for our company for people to be able to donate. And we're going to just make one big pot. Everybody in the company, we're telling you this is who we love. You know, we want to donate to this person. And then they can take that pot and give that donation, that pot to this candidate. But then when they do that, you know, they control. I want you to vote this way on this type of, whenever this type of, you know, thing. So, so if, if our it, corporation uh, if is about, oil, we don't want, yeah, yeah, we want to keep these medications at this particular cost. We don't want to lower prescription drugs. So whenever that comes up, we need you to vote our way and we'll let you know what our way is. And now that that person has taken this money, then that is the way that they are, you know, so they feel this allegiance. They have this allegiance actually to continue on and for them to get reelected 
to keep getting the money to be reelected, they continue to hold to that allegiance that they made. And it happens not just in the medical world. It happens in just so many different ways. And it's not just corporations. It's also big dollar donors that can say, hey, look, I'm such and such and such and such. You have a cousin who owns a business over on Third Street and We can shut their business down if you don't do X. You know, it can be really disgusting. But that's why, like, there are so many of us now that are going into office and we don't take any of those. That was was my next question. Like, how do you differ from those folks? Yes, zero. I don't take any money. And there are others who we've just made the decision that small dollar donations, you know, regular people... I'm somebody who did not have the money to donate to my favorite candidate. I just couldn't. I was a single parent, two kids, you know, fighting student loans and everything else. Right. I couldn't do that. But being able to tell somebody, hey, look, I, I gave $3 to this person. I gave $10 to this person. And that meaning something, that is how you know you are people powered. And so for me, there is no corporation. There's no one that can come to me and say, Corey, you remember now you got to vote my way. I'm only accountable to the people of St. Louis. It feels like America is so deeply ingrained in capitalism that I don't know how that changes in politics. Like I commend you and the others for taking this position, but does it also affect your ability to have influence amongst your peers in terms of how they vote? Because I feel like that's the other thing too. Like their power ends up being about who's backing them as well. Right. And they use that and we use our power, which is because I run my office and I am who I chose to be, I call my activist friends. Mm. I call them and I say, hey, look, this is what's going on. I need some help. And then so they're making their phone calls. They're rallying around whatever that bill is to get support. And then I can now say, look, I have 96 organizations that are backing me saying this is what we want. So now that gives me some power to be able to push some things just like, you know, we have a bill. We have a bill that is called the People's Response Act. And this bill is to change the, uh, the perception that public safety has to be this policing, carceral, you know, taking it from that Punitive. Punitive. Public safety is a public health issue. That's how we are coming at this. And this legislation says, if you have a mental health crisis, if you have a substance use issue, we have somebody who is unhoused, instead of sending a police officer right. to go and help them, we're sending a mental health professional or we're sending the social work, the therapist. Now, everybody doesn't like that. You know, not, not everybody loves the idea. But what's their argument listen- against it? The argument is that means you want to defund the police and we don't want to defund the police. But actually, all it means is that we didn't have. Right. Well, and then you don't want I don't want the bus driver to because we don't have enough people to fly the plane to fly the plane. You know, I don't want the. the, That's what I'm saying. Like, it actually supports the police. It's like now this allows you to go do police work for actual criminal activity that is created by criminals versus. That is, you know, criminal activity that is created by nature of somebody's circumstance. Exactly. Because we have to do the... We that's have that to mercy do, thing you was talking about, you know. That's it, is. What that is. it is. It is. You know, I, you know, as good as I can clean my house, 
don't I, I don't need to be anybody's custodian because I don't know how to put the apricots in the in the vents and all of that and, and, and apricots do the right work. What do you mean about apricots? Look, look, oh, it's it's a whole thing. <laughs> it, it I need to Google so apricots good. in the vents. I didn't know about yeah, apricots. Look, I'm telling you, that's what that's what they, you know, <laughs> they know the tricks, you know. But so, but that's the point. And so we want to make sure that the right people are doing the work. You went to school to do this work. We need you doing the work. And for yeah. those that didn't go to school to do it, we need you to do what you went and got trained for. But there are people that you know, they don't agree with it. That's fine. But I, I don't think it's fine. To... I know you have to say well, that, but it's not fine. Well, it's it's fine because I understand that each person has to vote their district, you know. Um, so I know we're not going to all agree. People so you're feel saying like, like their district might be like, we don't want this. So even yeah. if they... And police murder may not be as big of an issue in their community. So they might not feel like this is something that they need to vote against their police force on. So, you know, feeling if their police force is saying, oh, yeah, we don't want you to do that. So I get it. You know, I get it. Is there, Do I feel like it's right? No, but I get it. <laughs> um, so I just feel like if we allow ourselves to be shut down by the idea of I may not have enough power, then we'll never get anywhere. When I walked in the door, I got I took the same oath that every single other member of Congress, whether you've been there 30 years or you've been there two days or you've been there. You know, I took the same oath. I get the same amount of money. We have the same amount of people almost, you know, approximately that we serve. So I have the exact same voice. So I do not allow anyone to tell me, well, you need to watch your turn. You need to do this. I didn't allow people to do that to me running. Right. You know, I'm not going to allow because lives are at stake. It feels like it's constant surprises in this job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And are there any that you can share with us that, you really did not see coming? Look, let me... <laughs> let me sit back. <laughs> you know that, like... Look, look, yes. Yes. Let me start with straight out the gate. The very first one. So not being able to really work while you're getting prepared to go to Congress because you have to do all of this, these orientation for weeks. So you have to be in DC and doing all of these things. So you can't work a job. And how do you make money when you have to spend November and December before you get sworn in, you have to spend it doing your trainings and everything. So, so how do I pay my bills? And what happens to healthcare? You know, all of those things just kind of, so it's definitely not set up for people who are not from money right. or have some money. Also, you got to move to DC, which means you have to be able to get housing. You have to live somewhere, you know? And right. so, I remember AOC like didn't have housing for like right. the first couple months there. And I right. had offered to, to cover her housing and they were like, she can't take gifts. Can't and take I'm it. like, well, how does this thing work? Yeah, exactly. You can't, <laughs> right. We can't get help. So that so difficult. So and what did another, you end up doing for housing? I actually found a place because for me, what worked, it worked out. I got this book deal. And so I was able to, I had a little extra money to be able to do that, but that only worked out it was only by the crazy guys that that thing worked out the way that it did. Because let me tell you, I wasn't sure how I was going to pay my rent the month that I got elected. You know, it was like, okay, you pay this. And then I don't know what's going to happen after that. Like it was tough. It was really tough. But once I was sworn into Congress, took the oath, sworn in, okay, now you can start. Now you get your first check. You don't get your first check until the first. So we got sworn in on the third. Oh, no. Get our first check until February the 1st. So you done now went three months with zero dollars. the holidays, by the way. Yes, zero dollars. And health care. 
you don't get health care until February the 1st. So you're in Congress and you don't have any money and you don't have right. any health care, but you are doing the work for the country. Like it's yeah. some of it's some of those things that's just really that just really blew my mind. And then just being in the seat, like because you have to spend so much money on rent, people think that we get extra money to be at for our housing. We don't. And so what what our pay is, you better figure it out. So I have two homes. I have a home in St. Louis. I have a home in D.C. I have to pay for both of those homes just out of my check, you know. And so it does not leave a lot of money left over to be able to live off of for the month. You know, you get paid once a month. You know, I, I spend um, like two thirds of my income on wow. housing. Who determines how much Congress people make? Mm. <laughs> like, is that is that something voted on by Congress and the Senate? You know what? So because of the pushback, it does not move. People do not want to hear Congress members say, I need more pay. Right. What you hear is, well, you make $174,000 a year. We have people who we're trying to get to 30000 to trying to get to 60000 right. And you're complaining about making one hundred and seventy-four. So that's why it doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so we can't, we, for us to vote to pay ourselves more, not happening. I mean, I get it. What is a way that this pandemic has affected you not politically? Like just as a person, as a black woman? What is the way? Just name what? a way that this pandemic oh. has oh, shoot. impacted you, positive or negative? Positively, I'll say that because I have been speaking about Medicare for all and and not having job status connected to health care for such a long time before I ever got elected. And people was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Oh, that doesn't, you know, with the pandemic, people were able to see, oh, she was right. Like she was onto something with this. And so now the conversation is different and people are doing a lot more to try to help close that gap of people who are uninsured. So that's definitely something positive. Is this something you would want to do for your life? Be in Congress? Mm-hmm. No. Absolutely not. I have no desire to be in Congress for 30 years. This um, is not like career choice. No, absolutely. I, this is just mission. It's just mission. And so when the Lord tells me it's time to go, like move on to the next thing, I'm moving on to the next thing. I'm not, I'm here to do a particular work. That's why people have said, you know, oh, you're just doing, you're just moving so fast. You're just doing, so you're doing too much. You're just, you know, but it's because this urgency, that sense of urgency is there right. because I feel this weeping on the inside of me all like 24 hours a day. It never stops. I just feel this weeping. Somebody is crying. Somebody is hurting. Somebody has a need. And if I'm sleeping, if I'm relaxing, if I'm being comfortable in my position, that person will continue to hurt. So I got to go for all of it. I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm pushing, I'm trying to take, get, you know, get the president to cancel student debt because black women carry the most student debt in the country and we carry it the longest, you know, we care. We have the most, you know, and how do we close the racial wage gap if we won't cancel the student debt? And some people have said, well, Corey, we don't, I don't want to cancel student debt because that means that people who have money won't have to pay their debt and they already have money. And my thing is, well, then if they have money, it shouldn't even matter because they had the money to pay it. I was going to say, they're not, they didn't take out loans. (laughs) Right, exactly. We got to care about the people who don't have the money to pay back. So for me, it's that sense of urgency that, that need. But Corey, if you, what do you do for yourself to manage that in order for you to still have the fuel to fight it? Look, 
that's something that we we still we still working on. <laughs> but you know, but because as activists, we we have a tough time with self-care. Of course. As yes. Nurse, as you know, yes. Jamal, we have a tough time with self-care. But I have learned boundaries. And you know, mm. I've learned that when I started seeing my therapist. My like she just opened up this this whole a other portal. Like it just I'm like my goodness the coping skills and the, <laughs> the management that goes on in my brain now you know right. um, it's, it's so much different. So and then having I have a great team. I have a great team that carries that does photo her. shoots during yeah, crazy okay, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You see, this is who I want to be with if there's an insurrection happening. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then I have a a great support system. I have the most amazing partner. Absolutely. I just love him. So, and so it's that, but then look, ice cream, I turn on gospel music, you know, but I had to also learn boundaries. Yeah, man. There is no off day. There's no off day to the job. Like in some state houses, they work six months out of the year and then they're off the other six months or stuff like that, depending on what what state you're in. Mm -hmm. But in Congress, you're just on 24-7, 365. Because the thing is, people don't realize that you just worked 20 hours straight and you only slept for two hours and you're back working again. They don't know that that's a day after day after day that that's what you just went through. All they know is, well, she didn't show up to my event or I need her to show. Would you please, you know, I remember, and I'll say this, when my car was hit with bullets a few, um, about two weeks ago and in front of my home and the amount of pressure that I felt while the vehicle was outside my house with 10 bullet holes in it, the pressure that I felt to make it to the event that I had to be at soon after was so, because I just was like, they're going to be so upset because I can't be, but they do, people just don't understand when you say, hey, I cannot, you know, I can't do this. So that's another thing. It's just, it, it's hard, but it'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh is very telling. It'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> When you all say that, and again, these are genuine questions that I feel like people don't know the answer to. When you all say you're working, what are you actually doing? Oh my gosh. So some of every, that's the thing. Like, it's just everything. So, okay. When we are not in session, so we're not in session, we don't have to be in D.C., We can be at home in our home district or wherever we live. We can be at home doing work, going to events um, in our district, hosting our own events, town halls, all of those things, working in our district offices, you know, you know, working with the constituents that's coming in the door that have needs, going, visiting hospitals, just doing all of those kind of things on the ground or and and or you can take some time to like clean your house. <laughs> you can take some time, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, go to the grocery store, but that's that time that you're able to do that. So it's mostly doing district stuff. It is also doing a lot of meetings with like your state legislators, your county council members, all of those folks. When you are in session, that yeah. means you have to be in DC. Okay. Because you have to show up to vote. You have to be able to be at the Capitol when they say, hey, we're going to vote in 15 minutes. You got to be able to be there. Take in 15 that little minutes. train thing underground. You take the train <laughs> underground if you need to and go vote. You only get 15 minutes to vote. So you got to show up and you got to, yeah, you got to get there because you got 15 minutes. They call it 15 minutes later. 
usually it's over on to the next vote. Wow. So um, so you have okay. to be you have to move. But when you're not actually in the Capitol voting, then you in your office, oftentimes you're working on your legislation. So you're taught, you know, so for me, it looks like I don't know about everybody else. Each office is different. But for me, my team and I, we huddle all the time. So we're talking about legislation. What do I want to do next month? How are we going to make this happen? Who do we need to connect to? So doing all of those things, having meetings with other Congress members, trying to talking about my legislation or they're telling me about theirs. We're trying to figure out how we can make this thing move. Also working on constituent issues, even from D.C., figuring out what we need to do to help get this person out of prison or like whatever it is and working with our advocates. It's just so much. And I'm doing story time with students in the district, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm on the Zoom, holding the book, reading the book. You're pulling a lot of directions. It's everything. And this is the thing. When we have to vote, when we have to show up at the Capitol, that's 24 hours. So it can be any time. It's not like between the hours of nine and five. Oh, oh, no. They can call a vote at 2 a.m. But why would they? Because of all the different rules of how you, you know, you have to debate this amount of time you have to give you you know it's just like it's just a lot of protocols and whatnot protocols and it pushes things so you just the time there is no it's just like time just doesn't matter in congress for uh, really wow um i didn't know that yeah we can be on a meeting we could be on like a a markup meeting where we're just like looking at bills and saying hey these are the amendments that are going to go into these bills i remember one day one of my earliest ones we started at 10 a.m we finished at 5 a.m and we weren't done. People were falling asleep. So they finally said, okay, we'll break and we'll come back. And we were right back at 10 a.m. That sounds and like when we shot the Coachella episode of Insecure. That's what that oh, sounds like. No, but, it, but it was a good episode. Let me tell you, it was a good episode. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I hope that our listeners got as much from this conversation as me, just in terms of even just the nuts and bolts of the work that a congressperson is doing and the uniqueness of the way that you're doing that work. And and approaching this work, when you talk about mission, you know, you spoke about that your mission is to, you know, do the most for the least and yes. uh, to be, in my opinion, to be a beacon of change in a space that needs it. Right. And to demonstrate it, not just talk about it, but be about it. And I think that that is really commendable because I think a lot of folks you know, it's just so much easier to talk about it than to actually have to be in the situation, which is why, like, when people tell me, like, oh, Amanda, you should run for office, I'm like, no, which is also why I don't be talking about politics like that either, because I'm like, I'm not going to complain about shit that I'm not really equipped to step in and, and affect and shift in that way. However, the encouragement that you have given us as voters, you know, as people, as members of not just your constituency in Missouri, but as citizens of this country, like the encouragement that you've given us to know that like, even if you got a little bit of power in your vote, when you amass that with everybody else who has a little bit of power, it creates movement. And I can't stress enough that You know, we have to see people like you in order to believe that there is an actual like glimmer of hope uh, because there's too many folks that are the opposite of you that are getting all the airtime. Yeah. Yeah. That's if I see Ron fucking DeSantis one Mm. more time. Sorry. He just I'm from Florida. So he is (laughs) he just really gets my goat. Yeah, he is. But keep on, Corey. You know, we we the people are just like you and like, it's going to get better. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and uh, I, I try my best to remind people that we got to fight the power and fight for our joy in the midst of it. And, you know, as long as you are called to this mission, I hope you continue to do the same. Absolutely. Because we bring the change. We bring the movement. And when, if we stop, who does it? So I need more. We need more people. We need more. We, we need more Amandas. We need more. You know, we, the, the door is open. I'm a regular everyday person. They say yes. I just said yes. I didn't know what I was in for. No. I just said yes. And I need more people to know that the people that are in the seat are just people that chose to run. You know, right. they, they they're not special. Like they're right. they're no. not like no. more equipped no. because they went to a certain school, et cetera. No, not at all. Not at all. I don't even have a college degree. I'm a registered nurse. I have a nursing diploma. I don't even have a college degree. And I'm seated in Congress doing this work because we have to take off what we think that it should look like and just do the work. Be about the work. Be about the people. Fight for what you believe. Because if we don't, they're taking it from us. They're snatching it. And so what do we have to do? You know, power won't concede without a demand. We have to be the demand. We have to turn and we have to become the power. So we need help. There it is. Power won't concede without the demand. So when everyone talks about like, why are we marching? Why are people calling their legislators? Why are people showing up to forums and rallies? That is demand. That is demand. And let me say, when people say, call your legislators, it works. It may not work 100%, but when there's legislation and I don't know what to do, I ask my team, Mm. what are the calls? What are they saying? What are the constituents saying? And that's what we do. The last dose. There it is. Corey, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sending you all the good vibrations to continue this work and to be in this mission as long as you see fit. And everybody listening, uh, make sure that when you see Corey on the campaign trail, you know, you show us some love. And when these midterms come up, it means that we need to not only vote for senators and Congress people, but we also need to make sure to educate ourselves about our local elections and make our voices heard through our votes in our local elections. Yes, please. There you have it. Thank you so much, sis. Thank you. A podcast network.